It's amazing to me how our series has just unfolded in what feels like exactly the right times. We, we set up a series a long time ago that we wanted to look at the upper room experience as we got ready for Easter during this Lent season. We wanted to look at that long conversation that John recorded for us in John 13 through 17. And each week we look at a different part of that conversation. And it's just amazing to me how it has been unfolding. Last week when we needed it most, we heard Jesus say, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And man, what a word of comfort. What an, what an encouraging word from him at a time like this. Well, again, this morning, it's amazing because we hear him say to us, you are not alone. And after, the, after we have been separated for so long and none of us knows how much longer this is going to last, we need to hear that, don't we? You are not alone. I want to show you that in that great conversation. Look with me if you've got your copy of Scripture handy there. We're in John chapter 14, beginning at verse 15. Jesus says to his disciples, and thereby saying it to us as well, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. There are some incredible words there. And what I'd like to do this morning is just pick out a few of those words and look at them very specifically. Let's start with the word another. He says in verse 16, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper. You wouldn't think that'd be that big of a deal, but actually it's a pretty cool word in the Greek. Greek has two words for what we would translate as another. One is the word alos, which means that it is another of the same kind. And then there's the word heteros, which means another of a different kind. You know, we, we, might, we might look at it like this. I, I eat one Oreo. Well, then I want another Oreo. That's alos. That's another of the same kind. Well, I might eat one Oreo and then decide I'd rather have a, a chocolate chip cookie. So I eat another cookie but I would use that other Greek word to say this is another of a different kind. And here's where this really gets cool. There in verse 16, we have the Trinity represented. There can be no question that God reveals himself to us in the Trinity. And one of the ways I can say that is this very verse. Here is God the Son. I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper. We see all three of the persons of the Trinity represented here. And in that little word, another, he uses the word alos, 
which means I'm going to ask God to give you another who is just like me. Here is God asking God to give the disciples God. It's incredible as we enter, as we see the interaction among the persons of the Trinity. And it's incredible. It's amazing that Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to ask the Father and he's going to give you another. Why is that important? Well, it's important for a significant reason. In the previous chapter, in chapter 13 at verse 33, Jesus told his disciples, I'm only going to be with you for a little while. And then in the first half of this chapter, verse 14, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. So by now the disciples know that he's leaving. Imagine the, the, the anxiety that that must have stirred up within them. Here is the one whom they have followed all these years. Here is the one to whom they have entrusted their very lives. And he's going to leave them? And so he says to them, I'm going to ask the Father to send you another just like me. In other words, he's saying to them, I have to go, but you will not be alone. Let's pull out another word there. It's this word helper. Some translations use the word advocate. Some translations use the word counselor. The word is an amazing word. It's, uh, it, it takes two Greek words and it puts them together. Uh, para is the word that would mean alongside. And uh, the other half of the word Kletos is a form of the word that would mean to call. So you put them together, you get parakletos, which is to be called alongside. That is the best way for us to understand the Holy Spirit. When we sing that beautiful prayer, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Help me to experience your presence. We're saying, I, I know that you have been called alongside of me. Don't let me ignore you. Jesus says, I'm going to call, I'm going I'm to pray, and I'm going to ask the Father to send to you an advocate, a counselor, a parakletos, one called alongside. You are not alone. When that word was used in the, in the legal realm, it would be used of one who would stand for someone else in the courtroom. Perhaps a, a, a defense attorney, a defense counselor. One who would stand and speak on behalf of the one who could not speak for him or herself. The Holy Spirit is that one who stands beside us. He is our counselor, our advocate. He is the one who helps us even in our deepest times of need. Let's look at another great word out of this text. 
He says, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. And I think that Jesus probably emphasized that word because that was the essence of of his message in this context. He says to the disciples, guys, I've got to go. I can't stay here with you anymore. There's a reason that we've called uh, this the Last Supper. It was his last opportunity to sit down with all of his disciples and to spend those last few moments with them. This is his last will and testament as he shares with them those things that he wants them to know that they need to know if they're going to be able to continue without him being physically present. And it is in that context of friends gathered around the table for this last meal together that he shocks them with the horrible news that one of them will betray him, that one of them will deny him, and that he himself is leaving them. You can't imagine the fear that that must have brought to them, the confusion that they felt as they they heard that he was leaving. And it was important that they know he was not abandoning them. And so it is in that context he has already said, I got to go, but I'm going to ask the Father to give you another helper who will be with you forever. The Holy Spirit will never reach a time where he has to leave you. The Holy Spirit will be with you Always, you are not being abandoned. You're not going to be alone. And friends, I want you to hear that this morning. Because I know that the last few days have been very lonely for some of us. I know that it's difficult not to be able to get out and spend time with friends and family. This is a challenging time. But I want you to hear what Jesus wanted them to hear that night. I think it is his message to us very clearly this morning. You are not alone. God the Son who loved you so much that he gave up glory and took on humanity. And then he loved you so much that he died on the cross for you. And then he loved you so much that he didn't stay dead but came back to life for you. It is that one who loves you that much that prays to the Father who wants only the best for you, who created you in his image. The Father who cares about you and knows everything there is to know about you and loves you anyway. It is that God the Son, who prayed to that God the Father to give to you the very thing that you need the most, and that is God's presence in your life all the time, even when the world is crazy around us. No believer is ever alone. In John, a little bit later, uh, in this same conversation, couple of chapters over in chapter 16 at verse 7. Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper cannot come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. What a great word of comfort that was for them. He had already said, guys, I have to go. And now in chapter 16, he reaffirms that I have to go because if I don't go, then you can't receive 
the Holy Spirit. Now, they had no way of understanding what he was saying at that time. But if you think about it, Jesus was completely human. He was a man, which means he could only be in one place at one time. And it means that he could only interact with those who were right there in the physical vicinity in which he was. But here he says, I have to go so that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit can work out this plan. I have to go so that the Father can send the Spirit who will be with you always. Now we are no longer limited to interacting with the Lord Jesus Christ in a physical way. We don't have to be in the same room as the man, Jesus of Nazareth. Now the Holy Spirit is with us at all times in all places. So they didn't understand that what he was saying was that I'm going to do something that's actually going to be in many ways even greater for you. I tell you the truth, he said, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. So think about these great words, alos, which means another of the same kind. The Holy Spirit is God. Jesus is God. And he says, I'm bringing to you another of the same kind. He is going to be a comforter, one who can care for you, come alongside you and walk through life with you. And although I have to go away, he will be with you forever. Those are some awesome words. There's another word that I want to share with you. And it is perhaps the smallest one in the whole text and yet in many ways the most powerful. If you look at verse 17, he says, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Why? Because they rejected Jesus. When you reject Jesus, you're rejecting God. When you reject God, you're rejecting God the Holy Spirit as well. You don't know him. You don't see him. You don't accept him. How then can you know him? How then can he share life with you? How can he be called alongside you when you reject him? In contrast to that, Jesus says, the world can't receive you because it neither sees, uh, sees him or knows him. But you, see here's the contrast, you know him for he dwells with you. And now look at this next word. You and will be in you. For he dwells with you and will be in you. A very small yet an incredibly powerful word. This changes things. Throughout the Old Testament, we hear of times in which God's Spirit was upon someone. And now in the New Testament, in the Gospels, uh, Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit has dwelt with you. You know Him because you know me. And the Holy Spirit has dwelt with you. But here's where it changes. He says the Holy Spirit will be in you. And all of a sudden the experience of God's people changes. 
until this time, the Holy Spirit has dealt with God's people, taken care of God's people from the outside, externally. There's been a, a, a relationship there. But now, Jesus says there's something going to change. And you and I know that that change is described for us in the second chapter of Acts, the, the, the day that we understand as uh, the celebration of Pentecost. As they were gathered for that celebration of Pentecost, on that day, the Holy Spirit came from heaven. Just as Jesus said, I'm going to ask the Father to send him. He asked the Father and the Father did send. And here came the Holy Spirit called to be alongside of the church. And the Holy Spirit came and filled the place and filled the people. And from that day on, from that moment, the church was born. And from that day on, believers have experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit within their very lives. No longer is there just a relationship with an external relationship between man and the Holy Spirit who works on the outside in. Now, every single believer in every single place all throughout creation and all throughout time experiences the presence of God Almighty in the person of the Holy Spirit within the very life of the believer. That word in is an incredible, powerful, awesome word. Do you remember Jesus' name that the prophet gave him? The prophet foretold that Jesus would be born, and the prophet said, you'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus came in a very, in a very physical, very visible, very real, personal way, as a man, as God, all at once, he came to be with man. He is Emmanuel. Now the Holy Spirit, since the day of Pentecost, has come. Not just to be with man, but to be in believers. I told you one time uh, how much fun it might be for you to Go through the scriptures and look at all of the three 16s. Probably the first verse you ever learned before you ever really probably understood that you could find it in the Bible. Somebody just taught you John 3.16 would be my guess. So John 3.16 has always been a part of our lives, most likely. 3.16 is, is incredible. I want to encourage you, this afternoon, tomorrow... When, uh, when, when you're still stuck at home and you don't have enough to do. Just run through scriptures and look at all the 316s. You'll be inspired and amazed by some of the powerful verses that you come across. One of them is 1 Corinthians 316. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. You see, we use that, that verse sometimes to challenge us to take care of our bodies in a healthy way. And, and that's okay because he does go on from there to say, you know, you ought to take care of the temple since that's where God lives. But I don't think that was the primary point that Paul was trying to make. The primary point was God Almighty, the creator of all that exists, 
now in the person of the Holy Spirit lives in you. What was the temple? The temple was the place where God resided. That was his house. In order to interact with God, the people in the Old Testament had to go to the temple to be in his presence. And now Paul says, believer, you are the temple. You are the house of God. He lives in you. You don't have to go somewhere to find him. He is within you at all times. Somebody once said, and I think it makes a lot of sense. Somebody once said, although every believer has the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit does not have every believer. I think perhaps that's where we misunderstand how the Holy Spirit interacts with us as believers. Because, friend, if you have accepted Christ in a real way, if you've really trusted Him personally, you've given your life over to Him, He really is Lord, then you have the Holy Spirit guiding you, leading you, protecting you, befriending you, comforting you. But so often... We don't experience his presence because we ignore him. It's not that he's not there. It's that we're not letting him express himself within our lives. Listen to that quote again. Although every believer has the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit does not have every believer. So Paul teaches us that we're to be filled with the Spirit. Not just that he has a dwelling place, but that we're to be filled with the Spirit. Experience his presence in a big way. And Paul also tells us that the way that works, the way that happens, he tells us to walk in the Spirit. You know, if you and I were just sitting down in your living room and it was just the two of us and nobody else could hear us, I'll bet you and I could both confess to each other that we live way too much of our lives depending on our own strength. We live way too much of our lives just, just doing things our way based on what we think depending on our strength. And as believers, that's where we miss the boat. That's where we cheat ourselves out of all kind of peace, all kind of power. The Holy Spirit lives within us. We are His temple. He lives there. And because of that, we want to be filled with His presence. We want to walk in his strength, in His power. We want to walk in His direction. When we let the Holy Spirit control us, lead us, guide us, comfort us, then we live with the peace that Jesus promised His disciples when He said, let not your hearts be troubled. I want to encourage you. Spend some time dwelling on that little word in. He dwells with you, Jesus told the disciples, and he will be in you. 
And then there's one more word that I want to show you before we conclude our time together. It's actually in the next verse. I'm not even sure that we read it earlier, but in verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. There, I think he is, uh, he's referring to two things at once. He says, I will come to you, which I think in the context he's saying, in the person of the Holy Spirit, I will come to you. When the Holy Spirit comes to you, that's me. But he also is, I think, making reference to the fact that he is going to return to the disciples after the resurrection. They're going to see him for a few days. But really what I want you to hear, what I want us to focus on is is not getting tied up in the interpretation of the last half of the verse. I want us to really hear the first half of the verse. I will not leave you as orphans. Seems kind of strange the way we're reading it because we're not seeing it in its fuller context. Because if we were hearing the whole conversation all at once then we would have heard Jesus say, little children, yet a little while I am with you. He called them his children. And he said, I only have a short time with you, children. And then he says, but you have to understand, children, I won't make you orphans. I won't leave you abandoned. You'll never be alone. When I was at seminary, I sat under one of the great professors of Bible teaching, in my opinion, well, in many people's opinion. Dr. David Garland spoke one time about God as that presence which is more real than any other. Take a few minutes to think on that, that God is that presence which is more real than any other. You see, he's not going to leave us as orphans. Our Heavenly Father is watching over us. He sent his Son to provide the way for us to get to him, to be the way for us to get to him. And he sent his Holy Spirit that we might experience his presence, that presence which is more real than any other. So when we're in isolation, remember we are not alone. Even though we are in separation, remember there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. While we go through this time of distancing, remember he is the one who said to you that he would never leave you nor forsake you. When we go through this time of sadness, remember, it is the Lord who is near the brokenhearted. There are scriptures from Old Testament to New Testament, from Genesis to Revelation, that remind us of his presence, of his love for us, that remind us that we are not alone. So friends, I I want to encourage you, while we're going through this, uh, this time of social distancing. Spend that time with the Lord. Remember that he's with you. 
Remember that even though we're apart physically, we are connected spiritually. Trust in him each step along the way. And very soon, we're going to get to the end of this difficult journey. And we're going to be able to look back and say, look how far God has brought us.